Welcome back to another episode of A Week in Football. On this episode, myself and Ed are joined by Corey Kemp, a big West Ham fan who runs the YouTube channel The West Ham Way. In this episode, we're also going to look back on the previous weekend's results and take a look forward to the upcoming fixtures. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Alright Ed, how's it going? All good, Matt. All good. Three weeks in a row with Liverpool win now. I can be happy. Yeah, three weeks in a row where Everton does disappoint me every weekend. So, so I'm so I'm extra happy. Yeah, great, delighted. <laughs> but Ed, we have a guest on this week, Mister Corey Kemp from the West Ham Way YouTube channel. Welcome, Corey. Hello, lads. How we doing? All good, mate. So, what we're gonna do is we're gonna run through. The results as quickly as possible, and then we're going to get Corey's opinions on his beloved West Ham. Ed, we had a game on Friday. We did, and it was relegation battlers Fulham at home to Wolves. Um, both sides came close early on to score. Neither of them actually got through. Uh, right at half time, William William uh, Jose, the Wolves striker, scored, and another one of those VAR decisions where the armpit or the sleeve. Rules out a perfectly good goal. Apart from that, it was an even enough game. Um, they both had attempts. It was, not, I wouldn't say end to end. It wasn't that exciting, but in terms of chances, it was it was end to end. But Wolves nicked it right at the end in stoppage time through Adama Traore. It was actually a lovely finish. Um, kind of caught Fulham sleeping on a counter inside their own half. Uh, it's an awful result for Fulham, um, especially we're, we're going to go on to see other results as well. So. It doesn't it doesn't favour them at all. So shocking start to the weekend for Fulham. Um that brought us into Saturday and what a game to start us off for Saturday football. Plenty of accumulators were let down, I'm sure. <laughs> um Manchester City at home to Leeds. Leeds won this one two one. Um City were kind of all over them for the first fifteen, twenty minutes. And what or sorry, Leeds seemed to not be able to even get out of half really which I was kind of shocked with because they play the same way in every game. But eventually they did. And when they did, um, they went 1-0 up through Stuart Dallas. Nice shot from outside the box. Hit off both posts before going in. Um, kind of a shock. If you're if you're following the game, I think City had three or four chances. Leeds had none and Leeds went 1-0 up. Um, and they were looking good. But just before half-time, Liam Cooper with a bad challenge was sent off. I was a bit iffy about it when I was watching it live. I actually thought, good tackle. But, you know, when they go to VAR and they slow everything down, it ends up looking awful. But you actually did get all of the ball, just the studs were, were high up. So mm. it was probably the right decision when they go into slow motion. But 10 years ago, it would have been a perfect tackle. Um, they got into half time anyway with the lead intact. But as soon as the second half started, City ramped up the pressure. They got leveled through Ferran Torres. And they were constantly just keeping possession and around needs box creating chances just near the end Rafinha went around the keeper and missed an opportunity to put Leeds 2-1 up and probably thought right that's that one gone settle for the one-all draw but in the 92nd minute Alioski played a beautiful ball through to Stuart Dallas and he scored his second and Leeds with two minutes left to hang on ran away from the champions elect with a 2-1 win I don't think anybody's seen it coming but personally absolutely delighted for Leeds and we'll talk about it more anyway later on. And that brought us to the three o'clock kickoff. And that was Liverpool at home to Aston Villa. 
Uh, Absolutely shit myself before this game. And they didn't even have Jack Grealish. And Liverpool actually got off to a good start. It was probably the high-tempo start that we were used to last year. But I don't think they've actually played like that at all in the first half this season. But it was chance after chance. I was sitting at home thinking, oh, great, this is brilliant. We'll probably get a 3-4-0 win here. Not to be. Uh, Villa went 1-0 up. Poor, poor attempt to save by Alisson, I have to say. Probably being a bit biased as a Liverpool fan here. Maybe not saying it was a good goal, but I think Alisson could have done a lot better. Um, <clears throat> Liverpool then got level through Firmino, but VAR again called it offside for probably a millimetre. Um, I'm honestly getting sick of that. I really think there was about five or six of them over the weekend that were just laughable. But went in 1 0 down at half time. Second half started. I don't think Liverpool actually started any better or worse than they did in the first half. Weren't really getting clear cut chances. I was starting to think, here we go. Seventh, seventh loss in a row at home. But a good attack down the left wing. Robertson took a shot. Um, Martinez was saved basically everything he could. Uh, got to it, but he parried it sideways and Salah was there to tap it in to get us back level. And then, with only a couple of minutes to go, Trent put us ahead. Lovely strike from just the edge of the box. Um, Gareth Southgate there watching as well, so good moment for Trent. So, 2-1 win for Liverpool, which is obviously made me a happier man doing this podcast this week, but mm. brings us into our last game on Saturday, which was Matt's favourite club, Crystal Palace. We'll fill you in on that, Corey. I don't know if you're, if you're up to date with Matt's love for Palace. But, uh, <laughs> Palace were at home to Chelsea, and Chelsea won this one 4-1. Um, I actually watched this game as well. Chelsea were on fire in the first half. Probably the best I've seen them attacking-wise on the two-shell. Um, Havertz was showing why he was worth that money. Fair enough. It's against Crystal Palace, but he'd want to be doing it week in, week out. But at least it shows what he actually is capable of. He was involved. Scored the first goal. Set up the second one. Uh, lovely finish by Pulisic. And Zuma put them three up just before half-time. Coasting at half-time, you'd have to say. Uh, came out in the second half. Benteke got a consolation for Palace. I say consolation, it was around the 60th minute, but the game was dead and buried. And Pulisic made sure of that by getting his second goal of the game. And Chelsea ran out 4-1 winners in the game that they pretty much dominated, which is huge for them going into their Champions League game tonight. But that wrapped up Saturday's fixtures, Matt. Yeah, uh, it was actually a great day of football, really, wasn't it? Um, Corey, I'll bring you in there um, just to, to have a quick word on Chelsea. What do you make of them since Tuchel took over? Yeah, they're brilliant, mate. It's frustrating, uh, particularly because we've got to go and play them after the Newcastle game. But yeah, no, uh, I've got to dig out Frank Lampard, haven't I? Obviously, the way he left West Ham and it, he, mm. took, he took the job way too soon for me. I can kind of see what he was he was trying to do, um, but very tactically naive. And I think I, even I slept on Tuchel, to be honest. I think he didn't really do too well at PSG, a number of big stars in there, and Bappe, Neymar. He's come into Chelsea and he's done really well. The, the big caveat to all of this, by the way, is Chelsea have spent a lot of money. They've got one of the best squad depths in the league. So, again, I'm not surprised that they're performing to the level that they are. But it does worry me a little bit when you hear him saying they're going to go in for a nine in the summer when they've already got Havertz and, and Werner. So, yeah, he's done he's done wonders, mate. He's done wonders and, and they are a little bit of a nightmare to play against. And Corey, quickly, what do you think of Crystal Palace? 
<laughs> I don't know, they're, they're a bit like, they're just a playing side, obviously. They, they tend to cause us a few problems. Both times we played them this season, I think that Benteke scored the first time in ages, and then we had a 3-2 at Selhurst Park. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. They're a bit boring. Like they're, uh... that, that is exactly, exactly, they're just there to take points off teams. No other not you beat Not if you beat them 7-0, man. <laughs> Listen, that's Liverpool, the last time I was happy by the way yeah yeah Liverpool have struggled against Palace as well mate over the years don't forget about that yeah true but we're going to move on to Sunday's games and it started off with Burnley at home to Newcastle and me and you Ed um, last week on the podcast said that we didn't know which way to go it was a huge game for Newcastle especially with Fulham playing on the Friday Newcastle would have known going into this game that a win would probably see them safe, to be, to be honest with you. Um, it was a big game uh, for Newcastle. Burnley went 1-0 up. with a, It was a tidy goal. It was actually great to see Chris Wood take the ball nearly on the halfway line and actually run at defenders. I'd never seen Chris Wood do that before in my life. Yeah. He, he ran all the way to the boy line and then just laid a lovely ball back. He, he actually, If you actually watch the defenders, I don't think the defenders actually were expecting him to do that either. Three defenders went with Chris Wood and left a space in the middle for uh, Vidra to get his goal, his sixth goal of the season. Um, it was actually a decent game of football to watch. There was loads of chances. Burnley actually had 24 goal attempts in this game, which is mental for Burnley, <laughs> um, to be honest with you. But Newcastle, it was 1-0 at halftime. And I didn't actually notice that Callum Wilson was back for Newcastle. He was on the bench. And he came on... It was a double substitution. Uh, St. Maximum came on with Callum Wilson and they completely changed the game. It was more uh, St. Maximum. He is just an absolute nuisance. And I, to, to be honest with you, I think he's actually better coming on as an impact sub. I think he's... I don't know if, he, if Newcastle get the same impact with him as a starter. I think it's been known like that. And he just comes on with a half an hour to go just to ruin left-backs and... He did that exactly. He laid the ball off to Jared Murphy. Murphy had a great strike um, straight through four or five defenders and into the bottom corner. And then St. Maximum just got the ball on the edge of the box and had the two centre-halves on strings and a tidy finish as well. Huge, huge three points for Newcastle. And to be honest with you, it probably does see them safe. To be honest with you, the next game, of course, was West Ham hosting Leicester, but we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um. The third game of the day, we, we said there was a good few games on uh, on the Sunday to watch. It was Spurs hosting Manchester United. Spurs took the lead in the 40 minute through Sun, but there was controversy beforehand. United actually scored a goal, and to be honest with you, it should have been given. I don't like your man. I think Son is a great player. There's no getting away from his talent and his ability. His antics and the way he goes on and carries himself on the pitch just doesn't do anything for me whatsoever he got a slap of a middle finger to the cheek and went down and he was actually on the ground for four minutes it was an absolute disgrace like and like the var- what, what annoyed me even more is that the referee went over and actually looked at it and said that it was enough to disallow the goal but if he was going to disallow the goal for that then surely he had to book McTominay that's so, what I was saying, yeah. So it didn't make any sense whatsoever. And it, unfortunately for Cavani, it was a great goal. And Pogba was seen to full effect there as well. A little nutmeg as well. It was a tidy finish from Cavani. But in typical ironic fashion, Son goes down and gives Spurs the lead before half time. 
And then I was uh, listening to a lot of Man United uh, fans on Twitter. Even though Man United have been winning games lately, it was kind of the first time where Manchester United actually played decent football in the second half. And I think it was kind of to do with the whole VAR situation in the first half. Son scoring the goal. It really kicked him into gear. Um, Fred with a tap in after good work for Manchester United as well to equalise. And then Cavani scored a great goal with 10 minutes to go to take them 2-1 into the lead. And then Greenwood in the 96th minute just putting um, the finishing touches on a really, really good win for Manchester United. Spurs, I don't know, maybe I'll get Corey in to have a word on Spurs as well, being local, uh, a London club as well. Corey, what do you think on Spurs um, at the moment? Where do, where do they go um, from here? I, I get asked this question all the time and I do enjoy watching Tottenham's demise, I've got to be honest. Um, I think, generally speaking, <laughs> the squad isn't as bad as how they're performing, I think. The problem when I watch Tottenham is they lack any identity. They've created a team that's A, a counter-attacking side and B, is based a lot around Harry Kane and Son. And so a lot of these players aren't stepping up. Defensively, they're woeful. I think Reguilon, when he came in, was probably one of the one of the best left-backs in the league. Now he's slid down a little bit. They're all over the place. But they've got a really expensive problem with Jose Mourinho because I think Daniel Levy's really tight with his purse strings and he's not... He's not going to sack him, but I also spoke to someone earlier. I said there's a, there's an ego thing behind it as well. You know, Levy was the one that wanted him in, that wanted him to bring in trophies. He's not going to be trigger happy and trying to get rid of him. So, but I have never seen a fan base as distraught as Tottenham fans. Um, they've they've been used to Pochettino and great styles of football, and now they're and now they're really struggling. And a lot of people that had Mourinho as their manager said that this was inevitable. But personally, I'm loving it. Um, hope it continues. Hope Kane leaves and and, and West Ham just stay above them. It could be a good. It could be a good thing for Spurs if Kane leaves. To be honest with you, because they could use the money now. Like you say, Daniel Levy's in charge. He's going to probably uh, put a lot of the money off the the stadium they built, especially with all um, the COVID thing that happened as well. They haven't been able to put money from the gate receipts off. But it could be a blessing in disguise if Kane does leave, and it doesn't become like you say all about the one man show. But Listen, Spurs are playing Everton on Friday, so they're going to get back to winning ways. It's not a big issue for Spurs at the moment. So last game on the Sunday was Sheffield United versus Arsenal. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. It was a tidy performance from Arsenal. Sheffield United, as we said before on the podcast, are already planning for next season. It's it's clearly evident to see. Um, great, it's actually great football from Arsenal for um, all of their goals. Um, Lacazette scored two goals in this match. He scored the first goal in the first half to bring them into the break 1-0 up. It was great to see Martinelli back for Arsenal as well. Um, he's he's a really, really talented footballer. Him and Saka and Smith Rowe are the future of Arsenal Football Club. I think if they can they can bring in a couple of players, um, Ed, you, you were talking about them last week as well, getting rid of a bit of deadwood as well, and bringing in, maybe bringing through more young talent because it, apparently they have a lot of young talent coming through as well. Yeah. And maybe give... Aubameyang a kick up the arse that he needs and, and give him a fresh start for next season I think Arsenal could be decent next year with fans back in the stadium with their youth coming through like Martinelli, Saka and Smith Rowe are only going to get better they've had their first full season in the Premier League they're also playing Europa League football they're playing against top teams in Europa League as well so things like you said Ed last week it's only going to get better for Arsenal I think if they can finish 8th, ninth, or 10th this season and start, start fresh with a blank canvas next year we'll see what what the real um, Arteta is next season, in my opinion. So we had uh, two games on Monday as well. Uh, the first game was West Brom against Southampton. West Brom just won't go away. 
they keep making fools of us every week, Ed. Um, mm. But they were actually brilliant. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I never thought um, Sam Allardyce's team would score eight goals in a week. And they scored five. <laughs> they scored five against Chelsea and three against Southampton. Now I know Southampton aren't any great shakes, but they played really, really good football. Pereira with a penalty, Phillips with another goal, um, Callum Robinson just can't stop scoring again. The Irish man can't do it for Ireland, but it was another win, and it keeps them alive. That like they still have they a saved chance. Saved as well. They saved the penalty in the last minute of the game as well. Yeah. Another uh, a clean sheet as well. Now, I still don't think they're good enough to get out of it, especially with the likes of Newcastle and Brighton picking up points ahead of them. But they're giving themselves a little bit of hope, and that's all they can really do. Um, moved on to the last game of the week. Brighton against Everton. Now, I two hours of my life that I'll never get back because it was an absolutely pathetic performance. One sec, one sec, one sec. I'm just going to get popcorn. One sec. <laughs> It was an absolute pathetic performance from Everton. Now, I'm not going to go much into it, but we did have 11 first-team players out injured, which obviously plays into it. But our starting 11 should have been good enough to at least give Brighton a game of football. We'd one shot on target in the whole game, and it was a measly shot. I didn't even really trouble the keeper. Brighton had 23 goal attempts at home and three shots on target. Brighton were by far the better team. They actually deserved to win the game. And... Everton, we were talking about it last week when we were uh, playing against Palace. Everton had a huge opportunity uh, to get six points against Palace and Brighton. Teams slipping up around them and they've absolutely blown it. Now, Champions League is definitely gone for Everton now. Europa League is it's still in Everton's hands with the game in hand. They can still get there if they beat the teams around them. We're playing Spurs next week. We're playing Arsenal. Then we have Villa and we, I think we have to play actually Corey West Ham soon enough as well. So, it's still in Everton's hands for the simple reason that we're playing teams around us. So if we want to climb the table, we're going to beat the teams around us. But it's starting on Friday night against Spurs. I just don't know what way it's going to go because simple fact of the matter is that Everton can't play football at the moment. Gabamon injured again, Ed. I said last week, 597 days and he comes back for 15 minutes. And it was like, great. <laughs> it's like having a new signing. And then Everton brought out a statement to say that he suffered a contact knee injury and he's out for four to six weeks. But the chap has just made a wee bit. I, I feel so, so sorry for him. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I think we should wrap him in cotton wool and just bring him back next season. I don't even think we should bother trying to play him this season, to be honest with you. I'm just kind of getting back to full fitness and give him a pre-season. But listen, it wasn't a defeat, but it felt like a defeat for Everton. Another point towards safety for Brighton. Um. Yeah, that's all I'm really going to say. So we're going to go back now, Corey, and talk about yet another win <laughs> for the mighty Hammers. So yeah. 3-2 for Leicester. Huge win in terms of Champions League. So, Corey, bring us through the game. What were your expect expectations before the game? Were you confident? Were you not confident? Talk us through the game and then um, your feelings well, after going the game. Into it, obviously, we've, we've got quite a fair few injuries at the minute. Obviously, Mickey's out, I think, for the rest of the season, if I'm honest. Angela Bonner's been out for a while now and he's a huge miss. Declan's out for four weeks. So, we've had to change the system a little bit. We've gone to a five at the back, three in midfield, two up front. And I would have been happy with a draw, to be honest. I think, you know, beforehand, if we'd had Declan and Antonio, it was just about 
competing against Leicester and Chelsea. And if you can get anything from them games, then we've got some winnable fixtures in and around. But I thought we started relatively well. I thought Mark Noble had a really good game again in terms of passing range and keeping the ball very nicely. I thought Leicester lacked a lot of creativity. A lot can be said for not having a James Madison. And Kelechi was coming deep a fair few times to try and pick it up. But defensively, not really troubled. Then, obviously, the first goal with Jesse Lingard, it's, it's an unbelievable finish. Like on, the, on one of the angles, you can see it actually goes out. Because when we were watching it live on the watch-along, we kind of thought, well, why has Schmeichel not dived for it? But at the same time, there's no chance whatsoever. And Lingard picks up those positions and is so, so lethal on the half volley. The second goal is really just played out from the back. Diop's played a, probably a 60-70 yard pass. And a few times in that first half, Leicester got caught out. We're trying to play, play that line a bit further up and it was Johnny Evans. Bowen's on side, slots it across Lingard 2-0. Um, I'm in dreamland at this point. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm not quite sure how this has happened, yeah. but particularly for the last three games, we've been unbelievable in the counter. And then we come out second half and we score within two minutes. Jarrod Bowen, again, another mistake from Leicester. And West Ham are just absolutely lethal at the minute. And 3-0 up is a dangerous scoreline for West Ham. You know, most teams would be comfortable and home and dry. But for us, we knew that the minute we got that third in, that anything can happen. And, uh, Arthur Mazawaku, he made a mistake for the first goal. He's rolled it across. And it's a shame because I thought generally in possession, we were a lot calmer in this game than we have been against Arsenal and Wolves. But good finish from Kalecci and Acho. Then they start putting a lot of pressure on us. They bring on Albrighton. I think it's around 70, 75 minutes. And Mazawaku just couldn't live with him. And they were getting crosses into the box. Fabianski made a few decent saves. The second goal's horrific from a West Ham standpoint. It's awful defending. But this is the problem. We're having to play... West Ham is so good at getting forward in numbers, but also defending in numbers. To do that for 90 minutes is really, really hard. And I just think there's a communication issue at the moment between some of our centre-backs. Creswell got injured. He's out now for three weeks. So we're like the walking wounded at the minute. Noble went off in the 80th. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm feeling a lot more relaxed going into Newcastle. It should be a game that we go and win and we can be a little bit more expansive. But I feel like if we can get Angelo back, if we can get Declan Rice back for Chelsea then there's no reason why we can't keep up our current form. But it's um, it's unreal. They're all cup finals, mate. You know, and We've had heart attacks for the past three weeks straight now. So mm -hmm. I'm just hoping a, an easy 2-0 win against Newcastle just to relax me before this massive game against Chelsea. Yeah, they're good, like, me and Ed have been waxing lyrical about West Ham over the last three or four weeks. They just seem to be going from strength to strength. And... They are vulnerable defensively, but going forward, they're just lethal. And I think a big part of that has got to do with Jesse Lingard or Lingardinho, <laughs> as Ed likes to call him. What do you make of Jesse Lingard? Because you've got him in, in the January transfer window, but West Ham's form have just, has just picked yeah. up. Unbelievable since, since he came in. What do you think of him as a player? What, has he transformed West Ham? And do you think he will um... get him in the summer? You know, I've made, I've made no sort of surprise that I was a bit on the fence about him coming to West Ham because I thought it was a it was a bit of a cheap option. We hadn't seen him for 18 months. There were a lot of question marks about his match fitness and he, and he rocked up at Villa Park. And it wasn't just the goals. I mean, it was poor it was poor goalkeeping from Martinez, but just the movement and the link-up he had with Mikel Antonio and Ben Rama. And, but we've got a bit of a player here. Um, everything that he does, you know, if we want to try and break down the side, he's always available in possession. And it's not the same, but you see that when England played San Marino, just, just getting in those pockets of space and trying to do something. But what surprised me most is that when we were in transition, he can carry the ball. I mean, the Wolves goal was absolutely phenomenal. And he, and he just does it regularly. The Spurs goal, mm. again, breaks the line. 
and it's and it's weird because I kind of thought we were getting a player with a bit of energy and you know work rate and I could get it for squad depth. But he's the perfect player for West Ham just in the way that we play, and I think we we accommodate him really nicely as well. He get he starts every week naturally. He gets on the ball a fair bit. He's our star man, and he's just he's just an unbelievable football player. <laughs> like he actually is a lot better than I gave him credit for. And and fair mm. play to him because I think when he got in that England side, I sort of saw it as a little bit of sentiment for Gareth Southgate but you see with Madison playing around and not making that Leicester squad on Sunday and Lingard turning up week in week out I think he's putting himself right in contention to to get into the Euros now naturally onto the point of can West Ham getting back in in the summer that that's an issue because if he has a good Euros there'll be a lot of sides Everton maybe Leicester will look at him Spurs will look at him I've heard Arsenal have been linked today Man United might take a punt on having him back so it becomes a case of if West Ham want to go and buy him, is his price tag becoming ridiculous? For us, and I've said this before, I'm happy to pay 25, 30 million because I think he's had 18 months off. You know, people don't count for that. He's 28, he's in his prime. Bring him into West Ham. If we get European football, it, he's a must to have. But at the same time, I can see United driving this price up. The better he does at West Ham and the more goals that he gets. I mean, I think I saw a stat the other day saying he's got the same amount of goal contributions as Harry Kane since he's joined the club, which is which is absolutely unbelievable. So yeah. price tag around him is going to be huge. But yeah, definitely, you know, I'll have him at West Ham any day. He's, uh, he's absolutely shocked me. Yeah. Um... The, uh, the, the only thing with the price tag as well there, Corey, just that you were saying, I think he only has a exactly. year left in his United contract. Exactly. Well, a year and That's the four months. So you should be able to get 25 million. I, I don't think they could ask for more because you summed it up well. He missed basically two years of football. It could just be a good run, a good run of form. It's there's no guarantee that he's going to be performing like that for the next couple of years or wherever he goes. To. Like, if he performs like that for the next year, he's definitely not a West Ham. But just just because of even if his form did dip, which naturally it will do, he's still a great player. I can still see him getting ten goals and chipping in with assists and creating. And that's exactly what we need at the minute, mate. To be honest, having a player like that, we we were grinding out results in January before he come in, and now he's come in. And you even see it a bit on Sunday with Jared Bowen. Like mm. Bowen stepped up with Antonio out the side and he's got great relationships with a lot of players, got respect of players like Mark Noble, Declan Rice. So he's, he's just a perfect fit. It's just a perfect January signing, to be honest. I have to actually say, Corey, sorry for uh, cutting across, Matt, in case you were going to say something there. But um, going into the season, West Ham just not a great season last year. Um, a lot of people calling for David Moyes' head. Then again, the summer sold uh, Dean Garner. I think it it didn't go down well with the likes of yourself. The West the West Ham fan base, Mark Noble even came out and kind of had his piece on it. But it couldn't have kind of got off to a worse start off the pitch for West Ham this season. But I think Moyes doesn't get the credit he actually deserves. The players he's actually brought in, Jared Bowen was an absolutely incredible signing because he didn't cost that much. He was banging them in for Hull. Nobody wanted to take a punt on him. I mean, every time I watch him, I just think he would get into most squads in the Premier League purely because I've never seen a player yeah. work harder than him when he's on the pitch. You have Ben Rama, he's slowly settling in, maybe not as good, cool, but even Craig Dawson got him on loan. People were laughing because of who, who he was coming from. He's arguably me. been one of the best centre-halves in the league. <laughs> and then you have Jesse Lingard. Like we, we like you said yourself, and I, I'm in agreement, I don't think many people in the world actually thought Lingard would have been of any use, mm. and that was probably just 
a better move for Lingard than it was for West Ham, but it's turned out the absolute opposite. And I think the thing with David Moyes is he needs to be given a bit of time at clubs to implement what he wants to do. When he has control of the transfers as well, like he's proven, he can get these players in. He's not afraid to go in League One, Championship, Scotland, like Suchek, Kufal. The list goes on. Like he, His recruitment has been absolutely brilliant. And I think there was a lot of West Ham fans that were completely against yeah. Moyes for a lot of the start of the season. I think he, yeah, he deserves absolutely. massive credit well, now. I mean, what do you I reckon? 95% fans back Moyes. Um, I'm certainly one that was really on the fence about it. Well, I wasn't on the fence. I, I didn't want him to come back the second time because I thought it was a backward step and it did seem a little bit like that. But I think he's he's shocked a lot of people. He, he's, a, he's a manager that it, it takes time. He can't just come in and... It doesn't seem fair. It, oh, we, we beat Bournemouth 4-0 in his first game. But other than that, there was no manager bounce. It was, it was very a really, really slow start. But the, the signings are important. I think with Moyes, and this is probably why it didn't work at Manchester United, he needs a certain type of character to work with. And I think at West Ham, the past couple of signings that we've got in, all the similar work ethic, all really working hard. Our fitness levels are unreal at the minute. But I think as well, it takes time for him tactically to understand his players. Like There was a, there was a big argument at the beginning of the season, even when West Ham were doing relatively well that he wasn't making subs at the right time. And it felt like we, we weren't winning games or seeing games out because he wasn't bringing players on. Now, there's no, he's got no issue with it. He, he'll bring on a Ben Rahman 75. If he needs to change it, he'll bring someone on his 60th minute. So I think with Moyes, it's not just about, again, time with the players, but he's got, he's got to be able to trust them. He's got to be able to trust them. They've got to be able to fit in with the system. And he's, and he's shocked me as well. Like how And people forget he's had over 1,000 Premier League games. So this guy is one of the most experienced managers in the league at the minute. And all the different systems that he's played with and, and put in place, and we've still kept that same level of performance. The squad depth's horrific. It's the, for me, our squad depth's the worst in the league, particularly with the injuries at the minute. We've got Mark Noble's our only backup centre midfielder. Antonio is our only striker when Alair left. And we're still where we are now. And we're around teams like Chelsea that have spent 200 million. He's a, if, if we get top four, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And I think, I think he should be a shoe in for, for manager of the season, unless Pep goes and gets four trophies. A hundred percent agree. Like, listen, he done it with Everton. Like, he, he got Everton into the top four on a shoestring budget, and he's doing the same with West Ham. Um, he's he's done incredible things, and I think West Ham should get behind him. He's done an absolutely fantastic job. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So, Ed, looking back on the fixtures, um, I think performance of the week will have to go to Leeds, not for, um blowing Man City out of the park but for the simple reason that they went to the Etihad scored two goals it was a smash and grab 10 men for 50 minutes of the game they literally had two attempts on goal two shots on target two goals and they went away with three points what do you think? Yeah like um, to be straight like if, if they had have drawn we wouldn't be putting them anywhere near performance of the week it's purely it's the result that's catching the eye mm. um, but yeah, basically everything you said. Two shots on target, smash and grab, 10 men. Like, it was like probably like a FIFA game you play online. I know I use that analogy a lot, but that's what this season's been like a bit. It's, it, you can't really explain it. City should have blown them away, especially when they went down to 10 men. Granted, City rested a lot of players ahead of the Champions League, so it was possibly City's weakest team, but City's weakest team could probably still challenge for the top four spots, so... Mm-hmm. No excuses from them, really. But yeah, I think performance of the week has to go to them. And um, we were chatting a bit beforehand, and 
we couldn't really decide who we give player of the week to. And I think, well, I, I had said, first of all, Dallas, just because he got the brace and they beat Man City at home. But you rightly so suggested Lingard. I think we mentioned St. Maxim as well. Yeah. And I think Pogba has to be in with a show because, listen, I can't stand the fellow. I think he's a waste. But that game against Spurs was classic Pogba. He, he produces one of those games every 10, 15 games and he lets people know that, oh, he actually has got unbelievable ability when he turns up. But will that same Pogba turn up now for the next five games? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to give it to um, St. Maxim because for the simple reason was 1-0 um, down away from home to Burnley, a notorious tough side to break down. And he came on, took the game by the scuff of the neck, uh, set up a goal, scored a goal, got his team three vital points, which literally could keep them in the league. So although he was only on the pitch for a half an hour, I think he probably deserves um, player performance. Of the week, to be honest with you. Um, so what we're going to do is now we're going to go up to the upcoming fixtures. Like you said, we have scattered games over the weekend. We've um, cup finals or cup semi-finals coming up as well. But there is a game on Friday night between Everton and Spurs. I just don't know. There's a lot of anger online um, on Twitter from Everton fans. A lot of them are saying the season's over. Just get it over and done with. We've we've had we've to play Spurs, Arsenal, Aston Villa, West Ham in the next few games. Like if we can't beat Palace and we can't beat Brighton, we're not going to beat Spurs and Arsenal. But Everton will probably go out and beat Spurs three or four nil. It's just the way they are. They they cannot break down teams who sit back and defend. But if Spurs come out and attack Everton, Everton could probably catch them on the break. Now, Everton were down to the bare bones against Brighton. They only had one senior player on the bench against Brighton, which was Alex Aboby. The rest were all kids. We had two goalkeepers from the under-23s, and um, the rest of them were literally all kids that hadn't even kicked the ball for the first team yet. Uh, Ancelotti said that Dominic Cavalloon, Alan Pickford, and another player, I can't remember his name now, should be back for Friday, which is a boost. Um, It'll give us a better chance, but... Spurs, is it a good time to play Spurs? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Both teams need the win um, in terms of European football. I think if Everton beats Spurs, I think Spurs won't even get Europa League. And I think if Spurs beat Everton, Everton's Europa League, uh, hopes and dreams are finished as well. So it's it's one of them, uh, to be honest with you. But I, like three or four months ago, Ed, when, when Everton beat um, Liverpool and stuff like that, I was going into games and, and sitting down watching the games going, I'm confident Everton can get a result here. Now I'm going into games and it's the same every year. Every March and April with Everton, I'm just like, what's going to happen here? We're not going to get into now with this game. And it's a shame because it was in our hands and it still is in our hands, but we have a really, really tough games coming up and I'm just not confident anymore in Everton. But we'll see what happens. So we have another game, Ed, on Saturday. Yeah, Come on, sports. Uh, yeah, so the game <laughs> on Saturday... Um, kicks us off Newcastle at home to West Ham I'll actually I'll, I'll let Corey take this one <laughs> The Newcastle game for me stands out because it was the first game of the season and we were absolutely shocking and um, Callum Wilson just, just ran us ragged I mean we've got a lot of injuries I think Angelo Bonner's is back in the side hopefully and I think we might be able to play a back four with some of our attacking players Ben Rama in there Fournells Lingard 
we should be more than enough to go and beat Newcastle. I think I think they've been abject this season, and I think you even see in the Burnley game relying heavily on someone like Saint Maximan to pull out a little bit of magic because. I just don't rate Steve Bruce. I just don't see anything in Newcastle that suggests to me that they're, they're going to improve under him. Mm. I think defensively, the lapses like you touched on with Chris Wood, again, if you back off Lingard and, and Ben Rama and Bowen, you're going to get slaughtered. So I think I think West Ham can go out there and get a couple of goals naturally because we have done in the past couple of weeks. But a boring 1-0, 2-0 for me um, would be sensational because I just don't think my heart can take it anymore. These are like cut. These are like cup finals at the minute, so we, we need a few relaxed games. But uh, listen, I expect West Ham to go in there, beat them. And I know St James's Park is typically a bit of a tough place for us to go, but you feel that no fans, momentum on our side, Angelo back, we should be more than enough. Now, it's, it's just a big game. Like we said it last week for West Ham, every game is a big game. That, that Like I said last week, when, when is the bubble going to burst? But they just keep doing it. They keep grinding out the wins. And like you say, I'd love for Everton to attack, 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 score three goals, concede two. But the main thing is three points. And if you keep do, if you keep doing that towards the end of the season, like we said last week, we're in the final run. It doesn't really matter about performances anymore. It's all about the points on the board. Whether you're down the bottom, if you're getting a draw away from home and it's getting you towards uh, safety, it doesn't necessarily matter how you play. So, but this this again, Newcastle need the points to stay in the in, in the Premier League. West Ham need the points to get into the Champions League. So, it's a huge, huge game. Again, West Ham get the win. And if results around them go their way, like they're, nearly a sh- they're guaranteeing themselves Europa League football at the very least. Ev, you going to say something there? Yeah, just with, with West Ham over the last few weeks, like Corey will be able to, to testify for this, but they're actually starting games absolutely shit hot. They're getting three goals by halftime, I think four games in a row. I think this fixture, if they start like that again, I actually I wouldn't see Newcastle getting a reply. Mm. I think the other teams, like you're talking about, you'd Arsenal, they were brilliant in the second half, got back to three all, fair enough. But Arsenal have world class talent in their squad. They don't always show up, but they do have it. Yeah, and then you have then that brings me on to Leicester, who are obviously above you in the table. So to to be three up against them at half time as well, or going just about half time. I, I can't really see them slowing down at the moment. I know you're saying there is injuries, but I think they've coped well with their injuries. Um, I Newcastle have had a couple of good results that they're virtually they're kind of safe, as we said. I think they will be safe, and I think that will go through the players, and I think they'll feel a bit more like right, we've done it now. We can relax a little bit, even though they've been relaxing all year. But I just can't see anything other than a West Ham win here. Unfortunately, no offense, but I want, I want West Ham, Everton, Spurs. Who else are we? Uh, Leicester. Uh, <laughs> I want Wild Blues. So, um, unfortunately, I don't see anything other than a West Ham win and probably a thumping, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um. So there was there was meant to be another game Saturday afternoon, uh, Southampton and Crystal Palace, but thank God it's been postponed. Um. <laughs> But um, there's a funeral on at three o'clock. Uh, Prince Philip's funeral, I think, is on. So that's the reason for the postponement. Um, but we do have a game, A15, so an evening kickoff. So it's a bit of a gap. We have an, an early kickoff and then we have a very late kickoff between Wolves and Sheffield United. Not going to spend too much time on this one. Um, it's one of those. I think Wolves will it'll, it'll help Wolves if they win, to be honest. With you. It'll just kind of keep them happy enough in the middle of the table there. Um, 38 points for Wolves after 31 games like we say that West Ham 
are have been our surprise of the season, but Wolves have been our disappointment of the season, to be honest with you. Now, I know I keep saying that it's Raul Jimenez has, has really, really hindered their chances of pushing up the table, but I do think they're going backwards a little bit. And I can actually see Wolves selling a lot of the players in the summer as well. The likes of Pedro Neto as well. They're going to get a few quid for him. I can see him leaving. Uh, hopefully he goes to Everton, but I highly doubt it. But yeah, not going to go too much into it. Sheffield United are just there to make up the numbers at the moment. And I can just see uh, Wolves getting the win. Ed, and that wraps up the Saturday games. We have a game on Sunday. Yeah, and um, I won't spend too much time on this one either, but it does hold a certain level of significance. Obviously, um, it's Arsenal at home to Fulham at half one on Sunday. It, I think Arsenal's season is kind of over. They're going to finish between 8th and 11th, let's say. Mm. Um, it'll be games like this. They might pick up another three points, but they'll they'll lose more games before the season's over. We spent a lot of time on Arsenal last week. Um, we touched them a little bit today as well. It's a massive game for Fulham. They had a bit of momentum swinging their way um, about three, four weeks ago. It's almost swung in the complete opposite way now, and it, it, it's actually in West Brom's favour. So they need points desperately if they're going to be able to catch Newcastle. West Ham should beat Newcastle, so it could be a massive weekend for Fulham. Arsenal have lost a few games at home this year as well, so it could go either way, but I, I do think Arsenal will just will take this one as well. Um, and then that brings us into the four o'clock kickoff. Yeah, so Man United at home to Burnley. Um, it's one of those games. Um, Man United looking to kind of cement the Champions League spot. I think they've already got it, but they're looking to cement um, that second spot which was helped by West Ham beating Leicester on the weekend. Man United should really win this game and they should really win it convincingly, to be honest with you. Um, is Pope out? Pope was out for the weekend, but I'm not sure if he's going to be out for this week. I'm not, I don't actually know the extent of his injury. I don't know why he was out. But I don't, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. I think Man United will be too strong for Burnley. I think Man United are actually playing decent football lately. I know maybe I'm, it's, it's kind of fresh in my mind the second half performance against Spurs. But I think Man United, Burnley are safe now in the Premier League. I think I think Man- I can just see three points here for Manchester United, to be honest, Jed. And we'd have a game on Monday. It's the big one. I think this will be our game of the week. Look forward to next week. And mm. um, Leeds United at home to Liverpool. I'm actually dreading this one, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> Liverpool just are not strong enough at the back. I mean, Less Kabak and Phillips, they try their best. Phillips is very limited because he has basically no experience at the age of just about twenty-five. But he does he does do his best. He has no pace, so he could be done on a counter attack very easily. And Kabak, he's very young. He's only learning. He's kind of learning his trade in England next to somebody that's also learning their trade. So it's not really great for him in a learning experience. So I just don't think. I've seen Rafinha picked up a little bit of a knock. I think if he doesn't play, Liverpool will have a good chance. But I think if he plays, we're going to get destroyed. Um, and I don't mean destroyed as in by the scoreline. I just mean they will probably dominate a stall game and they will probably nick it just with the form we're in at the moment. Like we've won three in a row in the league, but I don't know if either of you watched that game against Aston Villa. Mm. We just we can't finish our chances. Uh, the midfield a midfield of Milner, Fabinho um, and Wijnaldum do, doesn't work. It's, it, it's not creative enough. 
when you hold him when he pops on the orange Dutch jersey, he's fucking unbelievable. He's like Bruno Fernandez when he when he plays for Holland, but when he comes back to Liverpool, it's like he changes his whole game. And I don't really understand that because right now we could actually do with a creative midfielder setting things up. But I don't know which way to call this. I, I'm absolutely praying for a Liverpool win just to keep the form going and uh, hopefully secure a top four. But I'm just not comfortable going into this one at all. Quick one, Ed. Um, what do you think your chances against Madrid now tomorrow? Uh, I actually think there'll be a stage in the game where we'll be 2-0 up, which would be enough to get us through, but there is no way um, that Real Madrid won't score against us. We had a good run there, like three or four clean sheets in a row with two lads at the back. But there was there was still ropey moments in that game where, in those games, sorry, where if we actually came up against top-class talent, they would score. And Benzema, he's probably one of the best finishers around at the moment. Mm. So I, I can't see Madrid not scoring, which will effectively knock us out, I think. Yeah, um, I think if Real Madrid get one goal, that's it, isn't it? It's game over. But, see, see, like it's without the fans as well. Like, realistically, if we had our full strength side, they had our full strength side. I'd actually fancy Liverpool to taunt them. They also have a weak side, and we have a weak side. But their weaker side is better than our weaker side. But with it, with the fans there, it might have made enough of a difference just to generate an atmosphere to put them off, which has obviously worked in our favour a lot over yeah. the last twenty years or so. But just without them there as well. Well, we're, listen, missing, Ed, we're missing our leaders. Do you know what I mean? Ed, missing... You have Divock Origi there, the absolute Champions League legend. He's going to get you through. No problem. Hatrick incoming for Divock Origi at the cop end to get you through. Well, listen. Lifetime contract. If he does that, if Big Cock Origi <laughs> does that, lifetime contract. <laughs> he should have a lifetime contract and a statue outside anyway, regardless. But listen, what we'll do is sick of talking about Liverpool anyway. So we'll move on to the final game we're going to cover in this podcast, which is Chelsea. And Brighton, it's on Tuesday. There is games further on in the week, but we'll cover them um, in the next podcast. So we're going to do another podcast next Tuesday. Chelsea at home to Brighton. Um, another big game for Brighton. Another big game for Chelsea. Um, Chelsea are going to hope the likes of West Ham and Leicester slip up again. Chelsea are going to want to have a convincing win here against Brighton. Um, Brighton are... Are tough to break down. They've they've decent defenders. They've a strong enough midfield with Basuma in midfield and stuff like that. But I think Chelsea are probably going to be a little bit too strong for them. Um, I think the best thing that probably could have happened to Chelsea was getting battered by West Brom because I think Tuchel would have probably went in and rattled them a bit and really got behind them because ever since then they seem to be playing really really well. They got that decent win against Porto during the week in the Champions League. Um, I can see them uh, kicking on. I think they're playing tonight, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. playing tonight. So I think I can see them. Hopefully, <laughs> for their sake, getting through. Uh, Carl probably says otherwise. But yeah, <laughs> hopefully they get through. Hopefully they don't. Yeah, well, hopefully they. I mean, hopefully for their sake, I did show it in at the end. You know what I mean? Because I don't want to be back in any other team other than Everton. But <laughs> Brighton. Um, just looking at the league table here. Um. Brighton 15th now after getting that point off Everton because Everton just like to dish out points lately. So, yeah, they're safe enough. I mean, they're seven points clear um, and they have a game in hand on Fulham. So, Brighton will probably take a point, but Chelsea really need the three points. Chelsea are going to, especially because the match is on Tuesday, 
they're going to be looking and hoping for um, West Ham and Leicester and all to slip up. So, yeah, that's it. Uh, Corey, I just want to ask you before we wrap it up, I'm sure you're probably as surprised as we are uh, how well West Ham have been doing this year. I think um, I did a Premier League predictions <laughs> table and I'm pretty sure I had West Ham finishing the, in the bottom five. I'm not sure what you thought about it. I'm just, I'm just being honest, I did. It's, it's just because of the end of the season. Like, But um, what are your expectations now? I've had to readjust my own expectations and understanding of, of what West Ham actually are. So, I mean, you get invited into all these shows of people asking you about West Ham in the top four. And I'm a bit like, well, I don't really know how we got here, to be fair. And you have to kind of accept that you are, you have become almost a side that is challenging for, for <laughs> European football. I mean, I think people are sleeping on our fixture list a little bit. I know Liverpool have got a favourable one, so have West Ham. I think we've got Newcastle, West Brom, Brighton. I know Everton are in there. Southampton, last game of the season, where, let's be honest, they'll have nothing to compete for. So, again, we, we should be favourites. Chelsea's the massive one. If West Ham could pull something off against Chelsea, then, for me, I, I think we're putting ourselves right in, in top four contention. But, listen, if we get European football this season, it, it, whether it's Europa League or Champions League, it's unbelievable. As for the summer, it, this club needs a lot of players through the door. Um, Moyes isn't going to get any old player through the door. That is the only issue. He's going to want players that, that, that fits in with his style, that are versatile, that work hard. Um, we've got players that will probably leave Lanzini, Felipe Anderson, Yarmolenko. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a really really busy summer. But I, I think West Ham need to look at five six quality recruitments in there, particularly if we get into a Champions League or Europa League competition, because our squad depth just isn't good enough. Um, and you look at some of the clubs around us, particularly next season, Everton will go again. We know that with, with Carlo, if you get a bit of decent squad depth, you'll be up there. Aston Villa will spend Liverpool one hundred percent. So we can't really afford to, to sort of sleep on our morals a little bit and just say, oh, we had a nice season. And I think that's the great thing about David Moyes is you know that even if West Ham inevitably do finish 8th or 9th or even 10th next season, that we're much better off than when we were when he came in. So it's all positives, mate. I thought we were going to get relegated and for, for some reason <laughs> we're one point or third. So just enjoy it, man. Just, I'm just enjoying it while I can because it's, <laughs> it's probably the best season I've seen in my lifetime as a West Ham fan. So... You just got to enjoy every every game week at the minute. Yeah, uh, what do you make of West Ham this, for the rest of the season? What do you think they're going to do? Yeah, like I, I don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're gonna fall away. Um, they probably are maybe just one or two injuries off, maybe find themselves in a bit of trouble. Like if Bowen or Lingard got injured and Mikel Antonio still ill, they're in a bit of a situation then. Um, but if they manage to keep them two players specifically fit. Um, the likes of Fornells as well has stepped up massively this season they they could still be there thereabouts I think Percy just on the Declan Rice thing I think he stays either way if it's Champions League Europa League and not so much his decision but also how much is he going to cost and who's going to have the money to spend that like for United and Chelsea for example I think they're both going for strikers so if they buy the strikers they want which will be Haaland and maybe somebody else who that's going to be mega money mm. and I don't think they're going to have 100 million to try prize away Declan Rice as well I think he'll probably stay another year regardless and then he'd be a bit more affordable and maybe West Ham be in a better position to accept the bid then so yeah. I just think European football will be great for them though because they have the stadium for it <laughs> um, obviously massive fan base as well and 
I don't see why they couldn't do well in the Europa League. But I think they are still in with a good chance to get Champions League at the moment. I think they need to lose a couple of games before they fall out of pole position, in my opinion. I think I think if they beat Newcastle on the weekend, that they're guaranteed European football. I think it's just the way the other the teams around them are playing each other. Like the likes of F Everton are going to be playing Spurs and Arsenal over the next few weeks and stuff like that. I think West Ham just need to keep doing what they're doing. Get a win against Newcastle on the weekend, and th- they'll nearly guarantee themselves seventh. Do you know what I mean? Like if they do drop down, so <laughs> like looking at the last four fixtures, Everton that's three points for West Ham, no problem. Brighton, <laughs> Brighton, West Brom, and Southampton. When I was watching us against Leicester, this side's mentality is just a different level from any other West Ham side. I mean, they are absolutely, you see that with the start of games, they're hell-bent mm-hmm. on, on literally winning. And I think that get a few changes in there, Declan and Angelo Obonna, you know, by that stage, West Brom could be relegated. So we are, we are in absolute pole position. So, it's annoying in a way. I like us going under the radar, but equally, like you see Sky Sports, they're constantly talking about you know Liverpool, Spurs, but West Ham. You know, I think we've only lost like two games in a couple of months. So, yeah, I, listen, it's been unbelievable. It's been unbelievable, and I think them players want it as well because I think that's the thing as well with David Moyes. He's brought players in that are hungry, that want to go forward with the club. Not we're not a stepping stone anymore. I know people will say, well, Declan may go on to a bigger yeah. club, and and probably that is the case, but. You know, you spoke about Bowen, Suchek, Sufal, players like that really want West Ham to do well and they want to do well for their own careers. So everything's pulling in the right direction. I've got every single thing crossed, mate, because if we get Champions League football and I get an away day to like Barcelona, I'll, I'll never forget it. So fingers <laughs> crossed that. And he he has to as well. If, if David Moyes gets top four, he has to get manager of the season. And I know people say, no, Pep, because they were 15th before Christmas at one stage and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But he has the squad that should be able to come back from that type of knock. Mm. But for David Moyes to take West Ham from bottom six and what looked like from the outside, a bit of turmoil to have them top four. Every single player in that squad looks like they're 100% behind Moyes. They look like yeah. they all get along with each other. It doesn't look like there's a bad apple, like maybe with Dimitri Payet a few years ago. There's none of that. There's no egos. There's nothing. And Declan Rice could possibly have an ego, but you even see interviews with him. He's actually incredibly down to earth and humble that that won't get in the way. He, he won't get an ego which will take over the team. Oh, is Declan Rice bigger? There won't be anything like that. So I think if he gets top four for the work he's done there behind the scenes and on the pitch, he would have to get manager of the year. I wish uh, West Ham and Corey the best of luck for the rest of the season. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Cheers, mate. I watched, I watched your, uh, one of your videos, um, oh, the yeah. West Ham Manchester United game, I think it was three or four weeks ago, you did a preview. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely fantastic. The in-depth analysis, not only on West Ham, but Manchester United, it was fantastic. It was a really, really well done video, Corey. So, um, listen, yeah, thanks again. So, um, yeah, we'll be back again next week to cover the games that we just covered. And everyone have a lovely, lovely week. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Get involved in the conversations. I've been Matt Smith. He's been Ed Kogan. He's been Corey Kemp. And that was a week. Just want to say thanks again to Corey for coming on the podcast. We really enjoyed having you on. If you enjoyed it too, make sure you go over to Twitter. You'll find them on at Corey Kemp underscore 
He also has a YouTube channel called The West Ham Way. So make sure you go over, have a look at his videos. They're fantastic. And make sure you subscribe to his channel. Thanks again.